um, you start to realize in the next five or 10 years, the world is going to become radically different because these technologies are augmenting and enabling it to become radically different. And, and really the, the only conclusion that you can draw is it's for incumbent organizations that don't catch that wave. Uh, they really are in jeopardy. Welcome to the Exponential Organization Podcast. I'm your host, Lance Petler. The world is changing at an exceptional rate. Companies need to not only continue to innovate, but also grow exponentially to keep up. This podcast will introduce you to the principles of exponential growth and how you can adopt them into your business. This show is sponsored by IdeaStorm, a leading exponential growth consultancy. They can provide services ranging from an hour advisory call with a network of over 2,000 consultants worldwide through to the 10-week EXO Sprint. Visit www.ideastorm.co.za to find out more. Today, our guest is Colin Isles. Colin shows leadership teams of entrenched organizations what steps they can take to hedge themselves from new entrants who are benefiting from easy access to disruptive exponential technologies. He's worked for a lot of customers across multiple industries, including MyWay, Thomson Reuters, University of Cape Town, PepsiCo, Afrocentric, Better Life, Old Mutual, ABSA, and a list of others. And he's currently also the global ambassador for OpenXO. Um, I caught up with Colin on his travels, and he recently attended an event that we'll speak about a little bit later in the interview uh, that happened in Los Angeles. And I spoke to him bright and early in the morning in the UK on his on a stopover on his way back to South Africa. So I actually spoke to him in transit, and the location that he spoke to was quite noisy. But I'm sure that you'll agree after listening to the interview that noise or not, Colin Isles is always very interesting to listen to. Right. Colin, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Lance. Great. Colin, you've been traveling a bit uh, around the world, as I understand it. Um, where do, where do I find you today? Well, I'm in London today, but I've just literally got back from Los Angeles where I attended the XPRIZE 2019 Visioneering Conference, which is run by Peter Diamandis. And um, this time it was held over at Paramount Studios. So it was a sort of fascinating three days I've just got back from. That sounds amazing. I was following you on LinkedIn. It looked really awesome, your videos that you pasted there, posted there. Um, what is the XPRIZE about? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a competition, basically, which... Um, I think it's been running for about 25 years now and it's using let's call it competition theory i think the originating story is um if you think back to the turn of the last century where someone put up a prize to incentivize people to go and develop the technology to go and fly from the united states to um, the uk or vice versa um, and it's an incredibly efficient mechanism to get people to go and invest money in some new ideas because if you put up a pot of prize money, say five or $10 million um, to, to win, to go and do whatever it is that we're being set as that challenge, you find that you get this multiplier effect. So you can actually generate hundreds of millions of input capital and resources to try to go and win that prize, even though everybody knows when they do it, perversely that they're unlikely to win and it's gonna be the five or 10 million pot that just goes to you know, one individual or one team. And so the X prize is really built around that kind of gamification model where They'll put up sponsored prizes, um, really to incentivize teams across the globe to try to solve, you know, the world's grand challenges. That sounds amazing. And what were the three days like that you've just been? Yeah, I thought it was really interesting. I mean, the the um, there's a couple of effects that I thought were were quite interesting. So so firstly, 
if you look at some of the things that they've done already um, to give it context, it seems to be a working model. This year's prize was handed out by Elon Musk. Um, it went to a group of people that have managed to extract air from water in a carbon neutral manner at two cents per liter. So clearly something which is going to be very useful in, in places like South Africa in, in certain areas. So they've got, they've got these, these great examples historically of prizes that have been uh, won. And, and the model that really is, is fascinating is that, you know, they'll bring together 300, 400 people, typically CEOs, um, very wealthy individuals in general, experts in certain fields that they'll sort of add into the mix who can bring real intelligence to the, the uh, debates other than just the sort of philanthropic, um, philanthropic ideas that people are coming up with. Um, and you sort of mash all those people together for three days and, and you start to design the competitions for next year. And it's incredible the way that you see uh, groups of people starting with literally 400 individual sets of ideas suddenly becomes teams that are, are starting to think, how could we go and turn this particular idea into a competition? And then eventually on the last day, people getting up on stage and presenting back. And even during the presentations that are going back, you're already seeing initial funding coming in to go and make that prize a reality from some of the, the guys in the audience that have been successful in their lives, um, putting quite big money into it. So we, we saw competitions which really didn't exist as an idea yesterday, being formed, being presented in a kind of two minutes dragon, Dragon's Den and then seeing people put in $500,000, uh, you know, a million dollars just to go and get these seed funded and, and up and running. So it's a kind of a really fascinating model what happens when you bring these different sets of people together for a couple of days. That sounds amazing, like a dragon's den on steroids. That people must be under a lot of pressure when they present <laughs> to get that sort of money and financing. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think there's a lot of the people on the stage are very nervous. <laughs> um, Colin, I met you, I think, about two months ago uh, at an event, and that was the start of my journey uh, into exponential organizations and the, the OpenXO uh, platform and community. Um, you've obviously been involved, you have been involved with it more than I have. Can you take a bit of your background and what led you up to discovering the exponential organizations and, uh, you know, how did your journey start? So I sort of uh, probably discovered it in, in a couple of routes. I think many years ago, like many, I picked up and read the book by Sally Mishmail, Exponential Organizations, which I think is really a must read for anyone in business, regardless of whether they're interested in exponential organizations. It's one of the uh, sort of top 10 business books I'd recommend nowadays. Um, and then as part of my work running the Equinox, well, running, setting up um, and the initial idea for the Equinox Leadership and Innovation Center, you know, find access to people that are challenging the way that organizations operate and looking for ways to go and scale organizations. And that led to finding out about Abundance 360, which is again, another Peter Diamandis community where he brings together 360 entrepreneurs each year, usually in LA, um, to go and have a look at some of the latest technologies those are on the cusp. And when you go to these events, you just get blown away because you know, you've got people like Astro Teller from uh, Google pitching up and, and the sort of Elon Musk's of the world presenting about some of the crazy things that are happening on, a te on the technological front. And then you go and start thinking that really you're in a world where things are moving so fast it's not like it was 10 or 15 years ago. We've gone from kind of linear progress to exponential progress. And then you start to go and realize that it's not just one technology. It's, it's probably a dozen to two dozen technologies which are all developing simultaneously, whether that's 5G or artificial intelligence and all the different subtypes of artificial intelligence or uh, the green energy revolution that's coming through. Um, 
platforms and, and services that you're able to go and get the, the gig economy that's starting to work, the internet of things, and putting together cloud computing rather than having to host it, and a, and a number of other technologies. And as they all start following Moore's law or even um, exponential reducing models which are making them even cheaper than Moore's law even quicker, um, you start to realize in the next five or ten years the world is going to become radically different because these technologies are augmenting and enabling it to become radically different. And, and really the, the only conclusion that you can draw is it's for incumbent organizations that don't catch that wave. Uh, they really are in jeopardy because it's becoming so easy to go and set up new products and new services to service market needs in radically different ways and companies find it quite difficult to, to go and compete in that space because they're a little bit slow, orthodox and linear. They try to project their legacy. Um, and that's just not a very good strategy nowadays. Yeah, absolutely. I read in your intro that you lead, uh, you assist leadership teams in gaining access to disruptive exponential technologies. And you mentioned uh, a few of them there. Um, what does that actually mean? Yeah, it's a bit of a process. Um, but I suppose when you, when you look at it, it's really nothing to do with technology. It's still people that run the world. And, and the first stage is just making sure that the leadership teams are just aware of, of some of the things that I've just explained. So introducing them to how technology is already disrupting the world and, and how over the next four or five years that disruption is likely to increase quite substantially. Um, you can call that one of two levers to pull to encourage you know, leadership teams to, to start thinking differently about where they should focus their attention. Um, the slightly more pessimistic or negative side is, is really just scaring them, um, scaring them into action because it's kind of, this is your strategy, which is quite linear. Have you thought of the scenarios that would happen if X, Y, Z were to occur? So that's definitely part of it. Um, more positively, you can say these are the opportunities that these changing uh, technologies are likely to bring. And it's no longer good enough just to be sitting on the sideline and waiting for it to occur and introducing it to your organization. You need to start working out how to be leading in that space. Um, so that's, that's a very key measure. And the, and the second key influence for leadership teams to get them thinking differently is to start introducing them to this whole idea of purposeful leadership, purposeful um, organizations, which we're starting to see get quite a lot of news press at the moment, which is really to highlight that the, um, the analysis is saying that companies that are just simply chasing profit are perversely unlikely to find those profits and super profits that their competitors are finding, especially those competitors who are are driving their strategies based on fulfilling some sort of purpose and, and quite often an altruistic purpose. So that, that's kind of the opening. If you can get people to understand the benefits of a purposeful strategy rather than just being um, profit driven and understanding the opportunities and threats of exponential technologies, then you can really get some interesting discussions with those leadership teams about what procedures and uh, models they want to go and introduce into their organizations to try to, to, to benefit from these, uh, these kind of changes in the way that business is operating today. That seems astonishing to me because that's like turned on its head as it was 20 and 30 years ago. It was all, you know, about the profit. That's what you aim for. That's what companies are successful. And now it's about purpose. And I've heard you speak and you're passionate about having a massive transformative purpose. Can you go into a bit more detail about why that's important? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, um, you can, in, in many ways, I suppose it's kind of common sense. Um, I think, 20 or 30 years ago, or even you know, five or 10 years ago, and perhaps even for most organizations that they operate today, it doesn't feel that purpose is the model to implement because 
I think historically you could probably get away with just being big and being able to protect your IP, protect your distribution network, and things from your competitors weren't moving that quickly. So you could be equally competitive with your innovation strategies, no matter how slowly they progressed. Um, and so it was really something where, you know, forecasting and, and stress testing your ideas, um, you didn't have to worry too much as long as you, you know, you were sizable enough. Now that you just can't do that, there's just things that are moving too quickly. Any, you know, person can set up their startup. If they've got a laptop and internet access, they're really able to go and find funders. They're able to go and find experts in fields to help develop and build new products and services. And so things are moving incredibly quickly. And, and in that space where there are so many potential threats and competitors, you go and look at the organizations that are continually winning time and again and, and keeping at the forefront of innovation. And they, you know, realistically, 99 times out of 100, the way I analyze it, they seem to have some altruistic purpose which they're driving and striving towards mm. um, and we can look at examples if you look in say South Africa um, it's a great place to go and look for examples because in general most companies aren't particularly purposeful um, and they're struggling so you can do some comparisons take discovery they are a purposeful organization Adrian Gore uh, right from the get-go has said that he wants to go and help enhance people's lives help people to live longer and I honestly don't think that you would have seen the success of Discovery without that key principle determining all of their decisions. Um, and you wouldn't have seen, for example, the Vitality Scheme, which is, you know, really uh, for most end consumers, you'd look at it and say, this is the gym membership, discounted gym membership and um, scheme where you can go and join Virgin Actors and, and take a 70, 80% discount on the normal monthly fees. Um, you probably wouldn't have seen the, the car driving app, which is another gamification model which encourages you to drive saver by creating leaderboards. And in both examples, the, the, the more you show Discovery how you're, you're getting fitter and healthier or driving more safely, you're going to go and get rewarded and benefited, whether that's reductions in premiums or other gifts and awards um, which they're going to go and provide for you. So, so when you look at these successful organizations in South Africa or globally that are purposeful, they tend to operate in totally different ways to the, the profit-driven ones. And, and insurance is that great example, because if you look at the successful you know, charts to how their share price has actually increased and improved over you know, 10 or 15 years, it has just far outperformed their competitors like Momentum or Alexander Forbes. Um, and another good example for South Africa is Capitec. Look at how Capitec have performed over the last 20 years. It might have taken them some time to find their purpose when they started with microfinances, but but once they found it and they wanted to offer simple, affordable, understandable products and services in the financial arena, um, they've really stuck to that knitting and they just take their decisions around that. And again, look at their share price. They've far outperformed anything that the other big four incumbents uh, um, were able to do over that last you know, decade or two. Just a, I suppose a slightly controversial question. You mentioned Elon Musk in your intro with the XPRIZE and he's famous for his long work hours and up. And he's also mentioned for the massive transformative purpose. Is it sometimes used wrongly? Because I seem to think that he's using it to get his staff to work harder for him. Yeah, I don't, I, I'm not sure. I think it would be really interesting to, to do the analysis on that and see if there's a, a large correlation. Even purposeful leaders can introduce bad, uh, bad practice. There's no doubt about it. I think perhaps there is an opportunity to add bad practice because if you're running up a purposeful organization, so for Elon, it's making sustainable transport commonplace, um, you get this huge goodwill. So if you go and look on Twitter or any social media and see what the customer base is saying about Tesla, this is massive goodwill. They get this huge advocacy 
um, from their customers and they're just going and selling that product or service on behalf of, of the company. And, and obviously that's a really desirable state to be in. But you also see it from the staff that you employ. People, I don't think, join Tesla or Google or, or some of the other you know, well-known purposeful organizations because they simply want a salary. Um, you'll find them often joining because they buy into the purpose and they want to make a mark on the planet and therefore they're attracted to organizations which look to have a very strong you know, purpose. And then clearly, like any movement, if you really buy in emotionally to the purpose that you're trying to support, um, it's quite obvious that you can end up spending huge amounts of time, you know, major, major components of your life trying to go and succeed. Um, so absolutely, I think you can end up in a natural situation where people want to work longer hours because they passionately believe in it. And you could end up in a situation, where, again, I'm not saying there's necessarily a correlation here, where it's reasonably easy for the leadership team to abuse that correlation. Uh, absolutely. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, so, Colin, what are your current projects and plans? Um, yeah, so the, the main project I've got at the moment is I've um, fully stepped away from the corporate life a, a few months back and, and moved away from the, the innovation center that I'd set up. Um, I've basically just created my own company called the Innovation Catalyst. Uh, my purpose is to really help as many leadership teams as I can to find their purpose. And, and the goal behind that is to help them to come up with breakthrough ideas and then show them how to go and implement them um, quickly, efficiently and cheaply. And, and the kind of subtext why I want to do that is because corporates that are able to go and, and make that shift really hold the keys, I think, to the future of the planet. It's not going to be the linear legacy organizations of today that dictate where we are in, in five or ten years. It's going to be really be the leadership teams that are uh, sitting there and saying, as a core goal, we want to go and have this altruistic purpose. We want to deliver on it. We want to essentially improve people's lives through the, the development of new products and services. Um, and I want to be part of the, the many people globally who are trying to enable that. Fantastic. Um, so I'm gonna ask you to do something really difficult. And um, if you can look into your crystal ball, and we, we've said that you know, things are changing so fast, but how do you see the world in two to five years time? Is it gonna accelerate even further? Uh, you know, my children and your children who are growing up even like five years time, how, how's the world going to look then, do you think? Yeah, I think it is going to accelerate um, incredibly quickly. And I think that there's, um, for anyone that's interested, they really should follow uh, guys like Ray Kurzweil and, and some of the other science-based futurists. I mean, Ray's not really a, a futurist. I'd say he's, the, he's just an incredibly clever scientist and successful business entrepreneur. He's now the head engineer at Google. But anyway... If you go and look at the math over the last 20 years of different development rates in most technologies, you can see they're all running on exponential curves. And those are really difficult for us, I think, as a species to understand. We're quite linear. What's going to be the uh, impact next year? Uh, not much is going to change. Not much is going to go and change. And we suddenly wake up. I mean, a really simple example is 10 years ago, there wasn't any such thing as an iPhone. Um, and now we're, we're 10 years on. And we haven't really as consumers felt the difference, but obviously if you think about the changes that they've enabled in uh, just one example, the freemium model where you can go and download music onto your phone, um, you wake up and it's, it's kind of there. So we're really good at accepting change from a business perspective, not so good at um, deliberating it and, and investing into it. When we go and look at the, the changes that are coming, they're, they're quite um, phenomenal. So. There are companies out there that are working on making us live longer. There are companies out there actually trying to make us become younger. 
there's companies out there trying to interface the power of the brain with artificial intelligence. When you look at artificial intelligence specifically, um, we've got predictions from guys that you're going to go and see the artificial intelligence building on artificial intelligence. Once you've done it once, you're going to go and see accelerations. You know, so it took years to go and create the uh, the Go program, AlphaGo to go and beat the you know the the global masters. Then you go and do the second iteration, and that just takes days. So if you're in this accelerated world where where you're going to see things just move incredibly quickly, um, it will be impacting us. Um, in a, in a similar sort of a fashion, with the exception of how quickly we adopt it and, and regulations and, and some of the big policy decisions at a governmental level. Um, so if we didn't have friction and, and governments and, and borders didn't come into play with regulators, you really could imagine starting to see a massive explosion of the use of, of green energy. So the network effects of people putting solar on their roofs, getting financing for the solar starting to move off grid. Um, and again, this is from a, a South African context. The question you've got to ask is how quickly it's going to happen here. Mm. But you're seeing that internationally in, in places like California. Then you start to see autonomous cars coming in. I mean, another scalable model, as soon as you get the first thousand that are coming through, then it becomes 10,000, then it's 100,000. Um, so that should go in incredibly quickly um, over the next five or 10 years. Um, 5G, we've got the launch of space satellites looking to go and challenge that market. So you can expect data costs to come down significantly over the next five or six years. Again, if data becomes free, it changes how we can educate people. It changes the way that uh, people can use that data both to build businesses and to access um, AI. Um, so I'm expecting it to be both incredibly fast and also perhaps a bit of a, a trough of disillusionment where in certain parts of the world you're not seeing it all necessarily feeling it is going as quickly as possible. But meanwhile, there are going to be some companies being formed over the next five years that become incredibly powerful, successful companies because they're riding this wave. And uh, we'll see another set of organizations that just pop up over the next four or five years that would be as recognized as Google that don't exist today. Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to get your, my head around it and understand how it's going to be. I think I'm going to be taking my daughter for a flying car license event, you know, when she gets her driver's license. Um, well, they won't be doing licenses, will they? I mean, if you look at um, Uber, for example, Uber are planning to have the autonomous flying um, vehicles up and running as passenger, um, passenger vehicles in 2022, 2023. Um, and these are really valid projects. I mean, they're working in consortiums with organizations like uh, Bell, the helicopter company. Um, with NASA and working with regulators to go and put the frameworks in place that autonomous flying uh, taxis effectively will be up and running in the next couple of years. And their goals on, on those types of technologies is it'll be cheaper than the Uber that people are used to today. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Um, Colin, if people would like to contact you, uh, how should they do it? Uh, they can look me up on social media just by um, checking my name. There's not too many Colin Isles out there um, or email me directly. It's uh, Colin at colinisles.com um, or give you a shout and um, I'm sure you'll connect us. No, that's fantastic. And, and I just want to thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, Colin. Um, I just want to wish you everything of the best. Hope you travel back safely from your overseas trips. And I, continue, I look forward to continuing this journey together. I hope you, the listener, has enjoyed and found this podcast valuable. If you'd like to chat about any of these concepts, as Colin said, then please do. You can contact Colin. Uh, his email address will be in the show notes, or you can contact me directly. Uh, you can do that via my website, www.ideastorm.ca.za, or email me directly at lancepepler at gmail.com. And so 
until next time, I hope you have an absolutely fantastic week. So thank you, Colin. Bye-bye.